Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of History Spelunkers, the show where we take a deep dive into some niche and obscure topics in history. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and here are my lovely guests today. I'm Jamie, she, her pronouns. And I'm Ryan, he, him pronouns. Welcome back to the show, both of you. How are you doing this holiday season? I'm doing good. Good. That's good to hear. Uh, Today we are doing our Christmas holiday special. And so if y'all are ready, let's dive on into it. Those lights in the distance. They look like the lights of a strange ocean liner sailing on a frozen sea. There is the North Pole. All right. Like I said earlier, it is our holiday special and uh, Santa Claus is coming to town around this time of year. Uh, Have Either of y'all used the NORAD Santa tracker before? Um, is that the one that they use on like the TV? I don't know if they use it on TV. I've always found it on Google, but like oh. it's just the US government through NORAD uses radar to track where Santa is every year on Christmas. Mm. Oh, I've definitely seen that, but I don't think I've ever used it myself. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've used it myself either. My my, my cousin, uh, he likes to watch it, so I pull it up for him every Christmas or so. But uh, of course, Santa famously lives at the North Pole. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about is the North Pole and polar expeditions in general. So we'll tie it in Santa real quick. In 1879... Thomas Nast revealed to the world in a series of drawings that Santa's workshop was at the North Pole, specifically the North Magnetic Pole due to the Aurora Borealis being centered around his workshop area. And so that's in Canada, the location of that pole. And so the Canadian Postal Service actually has a postal code for his workshop Mm. for all the little kids to mail him letters. And uh, you know how we have like zip codes? Well, Canada also has postal codes. And the post code for Santos workshop is H0H0HO. (laughs) That's cute. Uh, (laughs) uh, In the United States, The U.S. Postal Service recommends that mail to Santa's workshop be sent to Santa Claus at 1225 Reindeer Road, North Pole, Alaska, um, zip code 99705. But much of the mail sent to that address is instead redirected to a volunteer base in Santa Claus, Indiana. (laughs) 
but uh canada does while a lot of north arctic countries have claimed to santa claus being you know living in their country or whatever uh canada has the best claim not only because they have the north magnetic pole but on the 23rd of december 2008 Jason Kenney, Canada's Minister of Citizenship, Immigration, and Multiculturalism, formally awarded Canadian citizenship to Santa Claus. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Quote, the government of Canada wishes Santa the very best on his Christmas Eve duties and wants to let him know that as a Canadian citizen, he has the automatic right to re-enter Canada once his trip around the world is complete. <laughs> now, how is that, now, how is that working with the border closures and everything with COVID? Well, COVID, you know, uh, I'm sure his magic gives him some level of protection, you know. The sleigh is pretty social distanced. So, also, didn't you hear Ryan Santa's vaccinated? So it's fine. Oh, that's right. right. And he got his booster. So, yeah, and he got his booster. Didn't Big Bird also get his shot? Yeah, some people. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so there's our Santa tie in. But, uh, the main history portion of this episode, the bulk of it, Uh, is polar exploration, you know, people trying to get to both the North and the South Pole. It's been happening for a long time. And so we'll kind of focus on the North Pole for a bit, and then we'll change directions and go down South and kind of detail the hunt for Santa Claus, I guess, or at least his Mm -hmm. house. So Arctic expedition, so North Pole, It first recorded explorer that we have entering that world from the Mediterranean area was the Greek explorer Pythias, but I didn't take Latin, so I probably pronounced that wrong, but uh, he entered the Arctic Circle around 330 BCE in his voyage around the British Isles. And we know that he entered the Arctic Circle because in the writings of his expedition, there's talk of some drift ice, and he records encountering the midnight sun. So kind of Hmm. a little deal. But uh, whenever most people think of Arctic exploration, a large portion of it can be traced to Scandinavian and Viking exploration. And so a lot of islands around the Arctic were discovered during about a 600-year period while they were out being Vikings. So the Faroe Islands around 400 CE, Iceland was discovered in 870 CE. They made it around the northern tip of Scandinavia in 880 CE, Greenland in 986, and then North America was discovered by the Vikings in 1100, I mean, in 1000 CE, and they stayed there for about 20 years or so. And then that was kind of it. 
And then you don't get a next big wave of Arctic exploration until around 1700s, uh, 1800s, whenever people are trying to find the Northwest and Northeast passages, which were these hypothetical sea routes that would take people around North America or Asia to get from Europe to get to Asia. Of course, the Northwest Passage did not exist, um, much to their chagrin. There's something called the Rocky Mountains in the way. Um, (laughs) So that kept a lot of people from getting the direction they wanted to go. But in 1851, a guy named Robert McClure discovered the actual Northwest Passage, which is through the Canadian archipelago, a bunch of islands up north. And in 1878, a guy named Adolf Nordenskjold there's a lot of like Norwegian names, so I'm probably going to get a lot of these very wrong in this episode, just for warning y'all. He completed the Northeast Passage around the top of Russia whenever he circumnavigated Eurasia. So that was a lot of just Arctic exploration in general. Then, beginning in the 1800s, people actually started trying to find the North Pole to find the North Pole, um, simply for, you know, filling in a spot on the map. And so, 1827, William Edward Perry set the northmost record uh, by reaching 82 degrees, 45 minutes north. And so I'm going to be saying a lot of degrees. And so for reference, and so that people understand, one degree of longitude going north is about 69 miles. And the farther north you go, that measurement kind of shrinks a little bit because the Earth isn't a perfect sphere. But, um, you know, it's close enough. And... For points of reference, Greenland and Canada, their northernmost points are around 83 degrees north. Um, Alaska, its northernmost point is around 71 degrees north. And mainland Russia is around 78 degrees north. And once you get past that, you just get into ice. One of the first major polar explorations in the United States was 1871 with the Polaris expedition. Uh, It was funded by Congress and it left New York city in June of 1871. And in September of that year, it reached its northernmost point of around 82 degrees North. And they wintered in a bay off of Greenland whenever the ice set in. This expedition was led by a man named Charles Francis Hall, and it's famous for being a tragedy, uh, a failure as far as expeditions go. They never made it to the North Pole, mostly because um, once they wintered, 
Charles Hall and other leaders in the crew began having disagreements about how to proceed with their expedition. In October, a group of them began going out on the ice in dog sleds, but um, they had to return to the ship because they forgot some of their supplies. And then after a second trip out on the sled in late October, the leader of the expedition, Charles Hall, fell ill after drinking a cup of coffee. And he believed that he was poisoned by the chief scientist of the crew. His name was Emil Bessels. And so he refused medical treatment from the scientist um, and promptly died on November 8th. As the season began to change, they decided to turn south in the next summer. But on October 15th of the next year, they hit an iceberg. And so uh, six members of the crew were stranded on an ice floe the night of the wreck. And so they were on the ship. And they ended up being rescued on April 30th, 1873, off the coast of Newfoundland. Basically, they just survived on the ice floe with the help of their Inuit guides. And they survived by hunting seals, building igloos, etc. And so they sailed off and were kind of doing their own thing. Those who were on the ship the night of the iceberg, they ended up landing the ship on the coast of Greenland, where they built a hut from scrap parts of the ship and they wintered on land and with the help of the local Eta Inuit, they were able to survive. And so whenever summer came around, they were able to sell south on boats that they made out of the ship. And they were rescued by a whaler on June 3rd, 1873. Um, an investigation into the death of Charles Hall ruled it to be natural causes. And so he quite foolishly rejected the help of his medical crew. Another famous incident of trying to reach the North Pole was the 1879 expedition of the USS Geniette. And they were trying out a new theory. They were going to go up around the Western route by Alaska. And so they left San Francisco on July 8th, 1879. And they had a crew of about 33 men led by a Mr. George W. DeLong. And at the time, they were operating under the now disproven theory of an open polar sea. Basically, they believed that sea ice could only form close to land. And so once they would make it past this outer ring of ice, they figured that the North Pole itself would just be open water. Um, this was not true, but they didn't know any better at the time. And so by late August, they began to leave Alaska 
And on September 5th, the Jennyette became trapped in ice. And um, it stayed trapped in ice. And on January 8th, 1880, there was so much pressure on the hull that it was breached and the ship began taking on water. But it was saved from sinking by the crew members. They basically just stuffed random objects into the breach and were able to construct a water pump. So they managed to save the ship from sinking. And they stayed stuck in the ice flow until June 13th, 1881, whenever the Jennyette was finally completely crushed by the ice um, after being stuck for over a year. The crew of the ship traveled south on the ice with small boats for a couple of months until September 12th, whenever they were separated into two groups. One group with DeLong drifted along the ice and they ended up staying in some abandoned huts, but ultimately they ran out of supplies and so... DeLong sent out two members of his party to try and find help. Everyone except for the two people that he sent out ended up dying, either from starvation or exposure, by the end of October. And we only know what happened to this group of people because DeLong managed to keep a journal throughout this time. And the last entry of his was on October 30th. Um, The two men that he sent out managed to make contact with the other group that got separated on November 2nd. And so this other group, after making contact with this couple of people, uh, they reached out to some settlements trying to find out the location of DeLong and his party. And they sent out a rescue mission in January. And on March 23rd, they found his journal. And so they kind of ended their rescue operations there. And so after these few polar expeditions, people began trying all sorts of new and novel attempts because they cannot seem to get their ships through to the North Pole. One of the more interesting attempts was in 1897, whenever a man named Salomon Andre decided to fly a hydrogen balloon over the North Pole. But um, he only made it about 190 miles north of the Norwegian island of Svalbard. And so uh, he crashed the hot air balloon because he did not have a successful steering mechanism. And so it did not go well for him. I'm surprised he made it 190 miles. Like I feel like that would go like in the air for about 20 minutes and then that'd be it. Yeah. So people were telling uh, Solomon before he went out on this expedition that dude, this is not a good idea. 
button. He did not listen. Um, his steering mechanism was to just dangle two ropes over the side of the balloon and let them drag along the ice. And that was supposed to help steer the balloon. But what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, it'd be like <laughs> the friction of the rope on the ice would, you know, you put the rope out on the left side of the basket, then it'll pull it over to the left. And, but no, it didn't work like that. So he ended up crashing the balloon. See, I wonder if, like, oh. It seems like a silly idea to us because, like, it is very common nowadays to be, like, highly educated in, like, science and physics and stuff like that. And so maybe that's why we can look on that and be like, that was a stupid idea. But. Hmm. On that, too, I. I feel like it'd be nice sometimes to live in those times and then just have these outlandish ideas that obviously somebody funded. He might have. It might have been his like financial ruin or whatever, but like it'd be fun to just go back in time and just be like, yeah, um, I want to fly a balloon over the ice and I turn by dragging ropes on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going I'm to do it. I know nobody else has been able to do it with ships or any of this, but I, I know what's going on. <laughs> I think I got a million dollar idea here. Yeah. But uh so yeah, like I said, the people kept trying these new ideas. Um but on March eleventh, nineteen hundred, a new northmost record was set. Sorry, it was on the twenty-fifth of April, nineteen hundred. A new northmost record was set at 86 degrees, 34 minutes north. Then we get to the point where we begin having the official, you've reached the North Pole. So on in 1908, on the 21st of April, a man named Frederick Cook claimed to have reached the North Pole. But he was unable to produce any sort of evidence mathematically or, you know, through your journal, you keep track of, I traveled X amount of miles in this direction, that sort of thing. He wasn't able to produce any sort of convincing proof. And so this claim is not widely accepted. The person who is usually credited with having reached the North Pole and one of the most famous polar explorers was Robert Perry. And he claimed to have reached the North Pole on the 6th of April, 1909. He was accompanied by Matthew Henson. And four Inuit men. Perry was a longtime Arctic explorer. In 1894, during one of his expeditions across Greenland, he quote unquote discovered the second largest iron meteorite on the planet. And he took it from 
the local Inuit people who had been using it for tool making. And um, he took it back to the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Along with him, he managed to convince six Inuit people to travel with him for anthropological purposes, but they did not have much in the way of lodging provided for them. And so these six Inuit people were kept on display in the basement of the Natural History Museum for several months. And that ended whenever all but one of the Inuit people died from tuberculosis. Now, it was made clear through the wishes of the dead Inuit people that they wanted their remains sent back to Greenland to be, you know, with their community and stuff. But um, the museum decided that they would stage a fake burial for the bodies so that way they could keep and study the remains. Wow. Um, The remains were not returned to Greenland until 1993. What were they doing with them up until that point? Uh, Keeping them in storage, I guess. Yeah. And the one Inuit who did not die from tuberculosis, uh, he was a small child at the time. And he witnessed this fake burial. He ultimately went back to Greenland. He grew up came back to New York and found out that the museum had duped him. And so for the remainder of his life, he advocated to try and get his family members back. But he ultimately died during the 1919 flu pandemic. So, so yeah, Perry is uh, maybe not the most the best guy around, probably. Um, he has some mixed results. But um, he left on his polar expedition to try and reach the North Pole in July of 1908. And so he really wasn't aware of Frederick Cook, who claimed to have reached it back in April. And so that's why they both were kind of leaving at the same time. But their expedition, uh, sorry, their expedition, they go, and whenever they reach the North Pole, Matthew Henson, the other member of the party, reached the pole slightly before Perry did, according to all of their notes and stuff. But Perry also got all the praise because he was the leader of the expedition. And so the National Geographic Society, as well as the Naval Affairs Subcommittee of the U.S. House of Representatives, cited Perry with being the first person to reach the North Pole. This has some detractors because Matthew Henson claimed to have reached the pole before Perry did. Um, But probably one of the factors that goes into everyone at the time simply dismissing him was because Henson was a black man 
1908 was not the best time for Black people in this country. This is cited as like the first time someone reached the North Pole. But in the 1980s, we started looking more deeply into it and trying to recreate the expedition using their notes and stuff. And uh, we no longer, it's disputed now whether or not they actually reached the North Pole. And um, in the 1980s, they estimated that they were probably about 60 miles off. Again, people aren't getting to the North Pole by land anymore. They're trying all these new novel items. So people are trying to fly over the North Pole. They think that'll be easier. And so and the first claimed flight over the pole was in 1926 on May 9th by a U.S. Naval officer, Richard E. Byrd, and his pilot, Floyd Bennett. And although it was verified at the times, similar to Perry's expedition, more recent discoveries have kind of walked back that claim. And so the first consistent verified and scientifically convincing uh, expedition to successfully reach the pole was on the 12th of May, 1926, by a Norwegian explorer, Ronald Admudsen, and his sponsor, Lincoln Ellsworth, aboard the airship Norge, in which they flew over the North Pole and dropped in an airship, so like a dirigible, and whenever they flew over the North Pole, they dropped down an Italian, Norwegian, and American flag. So 1926 is the first 100% we know for certain that someone got to the North Pole. But after, you know, Perry's claim and all this expedition, the race to the pole was perceived to be over. and so. Discounting Perry's claim, the first people to set foot on the North Pole that we can verify um, 100% wasn't until 1948 with the Soviet Union. So, yeah, that's how long it took to get to the North Pole. That's way later than I expected it to be. Yeah, because, I mean, everyone thought that they had already made it back in 1908, so there really wasn't the pressure to go back up there anymore. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of the effort it took to get to the North Pole. Not only do we get, um, there's a lot of interesting characters that come out of this time period. I'm going to just shout out one of them. His name was. Peter Freuchen, he was a Danish explorer back in the 1920s. And uh, this guy, his life story is insane. Um, He wrote a book in 1953 uh, called Vagrant Viking that sort of detailed his expeditions and adventures across Greenland. On one of these expeditions, he claimed to have been caught in an avalanche. And so he molded 
his feces into a dagger to dig himself out of the snow, allegedly. Dang. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, on another occasion, he lost his leg to frostbite because, of course, he did. In the 1930s, whenever film was starting to grow, people were interested in making documentaries or just films set in the Arctic. So he would help Hollywood and, you know, other studios make movies in the Arctic. And he even starred in a couple of them. During World War II, he was a member of the Danish resistance fighting the Nazis. And he was actually captured and sentenced to death, not only for fighting in the resistance, but because he was a Jew. He managed to escape the prisoner of war camp that they were keeping him in and fled to Sweden. And then uh, in the 1950s, he was on an episode of the game show, the $64,000 question in which he won. So, so that's kind of all I got about the North pole. So now we're going to swap sides of the planet and kind of reverse back in time to discuss the exploration of the South Pole, which actually uh, was accomplished much quicker than the North Pole whenever people actually began doing it. Really? Is that what you would expect? Yeah, of course, most people did not. I mean, it's easier to traverse over land than it is ice that constantly shifts under your feet. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so um, the main thing to understand with the South Pole, or at least at the beginning of it, was um, people did not know Antarctica existed. Back in the yonder years, there was a myth about this place called Terra Australis because people thought that, oh, there's a bunch of land in the Northern Hemisphere. So if we're, whenever we get farther south around Africa and India, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot less land below the equator. So if we go further south, there just has to be this huge chunk of land to balance out the planet because <laughs> obviously, but uh, James Cook in 1772, uh, his expeditions across the planet um he disproved this theory by whenever he crossed the antarctic circle and he discovered australia and yeah there there was not a whole lot of land to be talked about mm. um and it wasn't until 1819 1821 in an expedition when uh Mr. Mikhail Lazarev was the first person to sight mainland Australia. I mean, mainland Antarctica, sorry. Mm. And then it wasn't until 1840 that a couple of expeditions uh, discovered like land, not just ice. And then that same year, that was the first person to actually set foot on Antarctica. 
And then historians aren't always the best at naming things. Um, but it's an they understatement. Did a, yeah. I mean, yeah. But <laughs> they did a good job because from 1897 to 1920, that period of Antarctic, you know, period of people trying to find the South Pole and just exploring Antarctica, it is called the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. And that is just moi, magnificent. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, an expedition called the Southern Cross Expedition from 1898 to 1900. Uh, it was the first time a group of people spent a winter on the continent. And in 1907, uh, the unfortunately named Nimrod expedition nice. uh, was the first to climb Mount Erebus, which is just a big mountain on Antarctica. And they were the first to reach the South Magnetic Pole. Hmm. And they also set a farthest south record for 88 degrees, 23 minutes south. Hmm which is just 97 miles from the pole. And then people actually reached the pole. It, there was a race, basically. It was two expeditions happening simultaneously um, that left in 1910. And yeah, so one was a Norwegian expedition team and the other was a British team. And mm -hmm. so they both were racing simultaneously to get to the South Pole. The Norwegian team was led by Amundsen, which we discussed earlier, mentioned him. He was one of the people to explore in the North Pole. Um, and he was the first person to successfully fly over the North Pole that we can verify. Mm -hmm. And so he was on the expedition to reach the South Pole first. And on December 14th, 1911, they successfully reached the geographic South Pole. The British team, led by Robert Falcon Scott, they reached the South Pole a month later on the 17th of January, 1912. Mm. And so now they didn't know, but they lost the race, unfortunately for them. But the Scott expedition tragically gets worse because on the return journey, all five members of the expedition died through no. a combination of starvation and exposure from the cold. Oof. And so you can actually travel to Antarctica tourism. And because it's so cold there all the time, and there isn't a whole lot of people there, you can actually visit some of like the cabins these expeditions set up. Mm -hmm. And they're full of you know, canned food, chocolate, all sorts of stuff that they would need for these expeditions. They're still there, perfectly preserved. Wow. 
You think anyone's taken any of it and eaten it? Uh, you know, you got to be sure that some people have, especially before <laughs> they were like really keeping track of that sort of thing, trying to preserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure some of it, you know, would probably still be edible. <laughs> Don't know if it would be good at this point over a hundred years on, but um, yeah. <laughs> probably just a little freezer burned, you know, probably a little bit. Um, you know, uh, but there's a lot of chocolate. Chocolate is actually a very common item for polar expeditions, apparently. Just why? Um, I think it's because of the sugar content and mm. also fat, just kind of in combination together. Mm. And it's something that people enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, cause other than that, you're eating like biscuits and jerky, you know? Hmm. So gotta have a tasty treat to help you from going insane, I guess. I guess so. But, um, wouldn't work for you though. You would no, just have to I, suffer. I, I don't like chocolate. So uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'll just be screwed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the last major expedition of the heroic age of antarctic exploration was shackleton's imperial trans-antarctic expedition Mm. and so they tried to just yeah they basically tried to just cross antarctica from one coast to the other via the south pole So they were going to start at the Weddell and Ross Seas. Mm -hmm. Well, they were going to start at the Weddell Sea and go to the Ross Sea. Um, They failed to land (laughs) on the Weddell Sea shore because their ship, the Endurance, became trapped and was crushed in pack ice. Ooh. And so this expedition has bunch of crazy stories of how they tried to rescue themselves um including prolonged drifts on these ice flows mm-hmm. and you know just floating out in the ocean but they managed to uh escape on a lifeboat to elephant island and then um there was an 800 mile open boat journey from there to South Georgia Island. So it's just wow. a bunch of crazy stories of, and you'll find a lot of them. And it was because of these heroic stories that, you know, these people were treated as celebrities whenever they got back, just exploring the Arctic and the Antarctic became, you know, these big, huge things. And they just filled the popular imagination at the time. I wonder if they've ever made like any like books or movies about these stories. I'm sure they have. Like I said, um, Freudchen, he wrote an autobiography, you know, mm-hmm. in the 50s. A famous fiction account of an ant- Antarctic exploration was H.P. Lovecraft's uh, novel At the Mountains of Madness. Mm hmm. It just, it takes place in Antarctica at uh, another good name, 
of there's Mount Terror, mm-hmm. which is a volcano. So that's people are really good at naming stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, though, uh, do you know what Arctic and then Antarctic means? No. Arctic, if you know, I think it's your Greek roots. Um, it basically means land of bears because okay. you got polar bears and brown bears and stuff. It's just people are like, there's bears up north. So <gasps> the Arctic is literally just place where they are bears. And so. All right. Fine, Ant- I guess. So, yeah. So the Antarctic is basically there are no bears here. <laughs> okay. Which is true. <laughs> I mean, I guess they didn't re- I guess they didn't really have a did they have words for like penguins and stuff back then? Uh well people had they really discovered didn't... penguins yet? I mean let let's see whenever when did people discover penguins? <laughs> uh so I mean Africa has penguins, so yeah. they they had discovered some penguins. Um, in like the 1400s, apparently. So, mm. but um, let's see, emperor penguins because they're like, you know, the, the iconic one. Yeah, the iconic Antarctic animal. Um, they were described in 1844, and uh, yeah, is that before or after they named it? Um, so they, they suspect that, uh, they saw some penguins on one of James Cook's voyages. So, Mm, okay. Um, so that would have been late 1700s. So Mm. it it was about same time, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I was going to say place with penguins would have been a much better name than like place without without bears you know (laughs) yeah i guess uh, i don't hey i guess that it's the name we're stuck with so (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean you know with the whole myth of terra australis from Mm -hmm. the earlier times technically it would make more sense for antarctica to be called australia yeah but no, we didn't do that because then that's just not how it worked out. <laughs> if only we had been in charge of the naming. Yeah, right. Um, but so, yeah, that's kind of the lot of overview of kind of famous moments in polar exploration. <laughs> hunting, for, <laughs> hunting for Santa Claus and the like. So. Hmm. Uh, I guess you got any questions? No, I don't think so. Thoughts? (laughs) Comments? No further comments. No further comments. (laughs) All right. So that'll wrap up this episode, I guess. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about this topic, I'll put some things in the show notes. Our music today brought to you by Mountaineer. You can find his stuff on 
upbeat.io. That's upbeat with two Ps. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Might be a little bit of a break before we get our next episodes out, but until then, we'll see you down the rabbit hole. Peace. Happy holidays. <laughs>